continue that tonight. And uh, why, if we're studying the Godhead, that's really the topic of our overall study, why would we include Christ in that study? Amen. He's a third of the Godhead, absolutely. So a very important study about Christ. Tonight, we're going to begin, we won't finish it, but on the topic of the helpfulness of Christ. Now, uh, uh, by the way, we'll be in Hebrews on Sunday morning in Sunday school as well. And some of the things we'll talk about tonight, we're going to uh, speak again on Sunday a little bit, not everything. But anyway, let's begin tonight in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 18. If anybody has that and wants to read it. Uh, thank you, Dan. Let's look at it again. For he in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Uh, when's the last time you used that word succor in a sentence? <laughs> Probably never, okay? It's not a word we use much anymore. And it, it basically simply means he's able to come to our aid. And, of course, the reason he's able to do that is given in the first half of that verse because himself, he was tempted himself, and we'll find out later on, uh, he was tempted in all points, as we are, except without sin. Again, we're looking at the book of the Hebrews tonight, for the most part. And we uh, one of the reasons that the apostle chose to write uh, this letter was to strengthen their faith. And their faith was being severely tested. In fact, they were tried very hard. Uh, difficult in very difficult ways, and they were wavering. They were considering about going back into Judaism. Now, again, uh, that's how bad the temptation was. And it's interesting to help accomplish his goal, the writer of Hebrews chooses to present to these Hebrew Christians the transcendent excellency of Jesus Christ. And of course, all along with that, the goodwill that Christ shows toward humanity. Now, you need to remember, uh, again, the, the title of the book is the Hebrews, and these were Christians who were Jews. And they'd come out of Hebrew, the Hebrew religion, the Judaism, if you will. And so what he does, he takes uh, quite a bit of time in this book, and he puts on display Jesus Christ, of course, his perfections of his person, the perfection of his offices, and the perfection of his work. Now, when we think of perfection, what does that mean? Thank you, Dan. Right. Other than Christ, where do we find perfection? Nowhere else, okay? And, of course, he's going to compare the Old Testament to the new, to Christ, and show why he is certainly the perfect person. It's interesting, he presents this same Christ, who is perfect in every way. He's also been made by God the heir of all things. In fact, the writer says he's the brightness of the Father's glory. And Christ is the express image of the Father. Look at verse 17, back up one verse, Hebrews chapter 2. Thank you. We'll probably be referring to this verse several times tonight. But the writer of Hebrews makes a conclusion here in verse 17 of chapter 2 and telling us how necessary it was that he might be made like us. Now remember, when God became incarnate, did he become an angel? He became what? Man. He became human. He became like us. And the reason he did, so that he might be merciful, if you will, uh, and be a faithful high priest. And the whole goal is this, to make reconciliation for our 
sins. I want to say tonight, oh, what a Savior we have. What a Savior we have. So, the writer of Hebrews puts Christ on display, and he shows the full measure of his superiority, not only to the prophets and to the priests, but even to the angels. That's how superior Christ is. But also we can't miss the fact that his condescension was so infinite because of his great love that was going to would come to him for salvation. So in that great love, the love he had for his children, or those who were going to come to him, he took a place, the Bible says, well, a little bit lower than the angels. A little bit lower than angels. And the reason was that in all things, he might be made like unto his brethren. Do you understand what happened here? Christ wanted to feel what? What we feel. He wanted to go through what? What we go through. He wanted to experience the hurt that we experience. The pain, the sorrow, the sadness, all of those things. And my preliminary question tonight is, did he? Yes. Absolutely. So let's look how the writer of Hebrews puts Christ on display. First of all, in chapter 1, the first two verses, we see the supreme prophet. We'll talk more about this Sunday morning. Somebody read those verses. Okay. Now it's interesting. <clears throat> we'll talk more about this on Sunday morning, of course, in Sunday school. Name a couple of prophets that come to your mind. I don't. It doesn't matter which ones you, that come to your mind. Any other prophets in the Old Testament? Isaiah. Isaiah. Anyone else? Do what? Okay. There you. Okay, he was a prophet. Sure. But who was greater than those prophets? Jesus. So, in his office as a prophet, the writer of Hebrews reveals him as the supreme prophet. In fact, Christ is the final spokesman. The final spokesman of deity. And we'll elaborate more of that on Sunday morning in Sunday school. Second of all, look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. He's presented as a glorious king. Okay. Now, Phyllis, you just read that verse there, and it says that his rule, his reign, is going to last forever. And we can name some of the kings of Judah or Israel. And uh, if you've studied your Bible, none of the northern tribes were... Uh, had good kings at all. There were a few in the southern kingdom. And probably the best known two were Solomon and David. But did any of those prophets, I'm sorry, those kings reign forever? No. And so Christ is better and more glorious than the kings. In chapter 2, verse 17, the author of Hebrews presents him as a merciful and faithful high priest. Somebody read that, please. We read it earlier. Now, again, notice this. He wanted to be a merciful and faithful high priest. Is Jesus that? Yes, he absolutely is. And again, we just read verse 17, but this next one point fits as well, making reconciliation. And uh, it's interesting. He made reconciliation uh, for our sins. And it literally means he was our propitiation. He appeased the anger of God. Who else could do that? 
No. No, no, no one could. Now remember, uh, how many priests were in the Old Testament? Several. A lot, right? But how many were priests forever? None of them were. And certainly none compared to him. And none of them could make a permanent reconciliation for our sins. They had to do it over and over and over again. But not only did he make reconciliation, he is our intercessor. Uh, Hebrews 7.25. What's it mean that he intercedes for? What does that mean? Do we need that? Yeah, he stands in for us. He pleads our case before the Father. And by the way, I believe the Bible is very clear. The Father hears the Son. Isn't that true? And he intercedes for us. He's also the one who brings us to glory. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 10. Wow. What a Savior. Now, don't miss this. Think about the majesty of Christ. Think about his position. And someone mentioned earlier that he's certainly part of the Godhead. And so amazing was his grace of this majestic being not only did he take on our nature, but he entered in fully into our circumstances. Does he know how we hurt? Sure he does. Whatever we want to bring up, whatever pain that we face, whatever heartache we face, Whatever the infirmities we face, Christ entered in and he was tempted in all respects, just as we are. And the good news is he never sinned. And he shed his blood, his precious blood. He died a shameful death. And my question is, who did he do that for? Yes. He did it for us. He did it for our behalf. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. And he did, all of this is simply to manifest the reality and the abundance of his mercy towards sinners. Think about that. This is what he did for us. He did it to show us mercy. He did it to put a fire in our hearts. And he did it to draw out our affections to him. That we might be part of the family of God. And as we read through the book of Hebrews, we find out that the writer of Hebrews points out several wonderful consequences of the fact that Jesus had become incarnate and entered into fellowship of the suffering of his people. Let's look at three of those tonight. First of all, the Bible says, the Hebrew says, the Lord of glory came down into the realm of temptation. Now remember, we read a while ago in chapter 2, verse 18, that he himself suffered being tempted He's able to succor us, come to our aid, those that are tempted. So the Lord of glory came down, and he entered the realm of temptation. Now, please understand, the Bible is to be understood in its widest uh, possible latitude. So when the Bible speaks speaks the fact that he was tempted, it signifies that he was put to the test. 
He was put to the proof. He was subjected to trials. He was subjected to troubles. And also, he was tempted to do evil. Now, please understand. Christ was tempted by men, and he was tempted by Satan. So he came down and he entered in the realm of temptation. Second of all, it's important to understand, he suffered while in temptation. Uh, one example that comes to my mind is one of the first ones we read about, and uh, one of the places we see it is in, I think, Luke chapter 4, when he was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. And for 40 days, he fasted. And who comes along? Yeah. Now, was Jesus hungry? Oh, come on. You think he was? Do you think that temptation was real? Absolutely it was. Absolutely it was real. So we have to understand, every time Christ was tempted, they were not just make-believe. They were real and they were painful. Tempted in all points as we are. Marvin? Well, certainly he gave up some of his rights. Well, sure, and he chose not to. And it's also interesting, Marvin. Satan said to him, command these stones to be made bread. What did Satan know? Yeah, yeah. And so he could have done that. So because even though he was made a little little on the angels, he didn't lose his divinity. But also, it didn't, how should I put this, lessen his humanity. And I want to tell you, folks, he was hungry. And no matter what temptation he faced, it was real. And again, he laid aside his ability or his right to change those stones into bread, or to call those angels down because he wanted to experience the pain and everything we as humans experience. Yes, he wasn't going to do that either. Now, again, the temptation was there. And, you know, and it was very real, and it was very, very painful. And he suffered. Now, keep in mind, it had to be that way. It had to take place that way. Because not only did he partake in our uh, sense of, but he could, he could see, he could touch, he, could, he had pain. But also understand, now listen to me, folks, very carefully. Let me begin by a question. How holy was Jesus? Why would you say that? Holy, holy, God's holy, 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 Jesus holy, holy, holy. And what we don't understand, because we're not holy, holy, holy. And, you know, I think as Christians, evil bothers us. No, exactly. And the thing is, we don't understand how painful evil was on his holiness. And the pain he felt every time for every form of evil. It was a painful thing for him to go through. So he suffered while being tempted. He came in the realm of temptation. And also understand that when we think about his suffering, it makes him all the more mindful of what we are going through. Now let's pause and think for just a moment. All of us here know someone maybe more than one person, who has gone through some pain we haven't experienced. Isn't that true? And if we haven't gone through it, can we really understand how they feel? No, we can't. Years ago, 
Uh, Pam and I had taken Sister Faye Harness out for, for, for supper. And her husband Mel hadn't been gone very long. And she told Pam and I that night, she said, you know, through the years, I thought I knew how people hurt who lost their spouse. And she said, but I didn't. And she said, you never know until you lose your own. And that's the way it is. So we have to understand, Christ suffered. And as he remembers how he suffered, he is very mindful. He knows how we feel. Hebrews 2.18 again. Okay, you know, we've kind of been on that several times. But here's the key, folks. He knows what we're going through. He knows how it feels. And so because of that, he's able to come to our aid. He's able to come to our side. And it's interesting. We think about uh, all that Christ is to us. But think about those he was originally writing to, how... Uh, Precious and how timeless those words were to these Hebrew Christians. And these were certainly Jews uh, who had been converted in the days of Christ and uh, probably under the preaching of the apostles. And they were in very, very difficult times, very difficult and trying circumstances. And the other Jews who weren't converted uh, regarded them as apostates from the law of Moses. And because of that, uh, they considered them as apostates of God as well. And many uh, were rejected by their family. Uh, they would not have fellowship with the other Jews. And it's interesting, those Jews who weren't converted uh, regarded them with the utmost contempt. And they treated them very, very harshly. Now, also think about this. And I can only, you know, assume this, but probably a lot of these Jewish converts were close to God before they were saved. That's a good point to to, to assume, I think. They were Orthodox Jews looking for the coming of Christ. But nonetheless, no matter what their state was, they've now been born again. And so... They're thinking now, when we followed God under Judaism, we didn't have this persecution. Our families talked to us. We weren't looked on with contempt. And since we followed God then, why not go back? That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 32 through 34. Thank you, Phyllis. Uh, we will address this probably Sunday morning. And uh, Jason, I don't know if you'll be in Sunday school or not because all the things you're doing. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? What do you, if you ask Kojo? Do I? Yeah, he would tell you Paul did. Now, but Jason, I was wondering about your opinion on that. But nonetheless... Uh, we really don't know who wrote it, okay? But whoever it is right now, he is saying to them, remember the early days. Remember when you first came to Christ. He used the word after which you were illuminated. He said, remember how you had to fight. Remember the afflictions you faced. Remember how you remained faithful, even though you knew it would bring about, and it did bring about, 
terrible, terrible, terrible suffering. Remember how you endured that great suffering. He reminded them you were made a gazing stock. What's that mean? Yeah, they stared at the contempt. You suffer reproaches and afflictions. He said, all happened while you became companions of them who had come to know me, know Christ. He said, you lost your property. And you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. And you kept a good attitude. Now, again... We don't know who wrote this. Uh, most modern commentators don't think it was Paul because they believe he was probably dead by now. Uh, we know that Timothy is mentioned in this epistle, and he's a possible author of it. Many think maybe Barnum. It doesn't matter who wrote it. The message is clear. And in verse 34, you've got to love this. While they were being persecuted, while they were losing their material goods, the author says, you had compassion on me while I was in bonds. And you responded even to the taking of your goods with joy. <laughs> And he says you were able to endure because you had a better, lasting possession waiting for you. Think about that. Now, the word better means superior in quality as well as superior in reality. And so the writer, he was to remember those early days when you trusted in God's promises when you were confident and you were grounded on God's promises of future tremendous rewards. Now I have a question for you. Whether it be the Hebrew Christian that I almost said Paul's writing to, but who we're writing to, or us, if God's promises were too true in the early days of our walk with God, are they true now? Yes. And the writer says, remember that. Remember that. They had, a, they, they had a right attitude at that time toward their earthly possessions. They understood that everything they had came from God and was in His control. And here's what's, what's really special about this. They realized if they lost all their earthly goods... How would that change their standing with God? It wouldn't. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And the writer says in the early days, you remember that, you didn't allow your possession to come between you and God. And you didn't allow them to come between you and your service for God. But remember, it was their continued loyalty to Christ that brought about the persecution. Let that sink in for a moment. And it, now it began to sink in. And they're very strongly tempted to abandon their Christian profession and go back to their former place under Judaism and then they thought if I do that I'll avoid any more trouble. So that's the circumstances. That's the background to those that the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to. 
It's also interesting, the author, the apostle here, reminds these Hebrew Christians that Christ himself, well, let me ask you, was he tempted? Yes. Did he suffer persecution? Yes. And so he reminds them that Christ himself was severely tempted, but also reminds them that he was subjected to worse trials than they were experiencing or we will experience. So did Christ <clears throat> did Christ give up? No. Did he quit? No. He endured those temptations. He endured those persecutions. And I want you to realize he came through it and he emerged as a victorious overcomer. In the book of John, I don't have the verse in our notes tonight, it just came to my mind. Jesus speaking to the disciples at the end of his ministry, he said, In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome this world. I have overcome this world. So the writer of Hebrews assures him Christ went through what you went through even worse. And then he gives him the assurance that that Savior, Jesus Christ, is able to come to your aid. He is able to sustain you. He is able to comfort you. And he's able to strengthen you in your walk with God. I give God praise tonight because for the most part here in America, as Christians, we have it pretty good. Now, I know that, you know, sometimes we're discriminated against and uh, we're taught to be tolerant toward everything else, but they're not tolerant toward us. But how many know in a lot of places in our world, they are literally suffering physical persecution? There are people across our world living for Christ whose lives are now in danger. And it's true today. So there are a lot of Christians today in similar circumstances to the Jews the writer of Hebrews was writing to here. But make no mistake about it, the world hates us. They, they don't like us. And the closer, when put it, the more faithful you are to Christ, guess what? The more the devil picks on, the more the world hates you. Now, you know, we're living in, 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 in America for the most part in cheap, easy believism. And uh, we, a lot of the church are teaching just blend in. Is that what the Bible teaches? Now, we're to be different. Now, that don't mean you're to be weird, but we're to be different. Our lives ought to model things of Christ. Yeah, exactly. But when you, when you live for Christ, the world is going to hate you. What was true in the New Testament time when the writer of Hebrews wrote this letter is true today. Some will be treated harshly by ungodly relatives. Uh, my goodness. My heart goes out to young Christian men and women who go to college, a secular college. Because guess what? Who's going to be against you? Even the professors are. Uh, even when our boys were in high school and... Uh, in, I don't know, science class, whatever, biology class, whatever it was, and they would talk about uh, evolution. I, and our boys knew the difference. I said, fellas, don't be disrespectful, but stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. It happens. So when you live for Christ... Does that mean everything will be hunky-dory all the time? No. And as we preach Sunday night about disappointment, uh, sometimes God allows us to suffer persecution. Uh, puts us in perplexing circumstances. Uh, it could be a lot of things. A loss of a loved one, that difficult, painful sickness. And Phyllis, you mentioned this a moment ago, I'll guarantee you, during those times in your life, Satan is on the move. He's active. 
He's trying to get you to doubt. Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. If God was good, why did this happen to you? Why couldn't he stop? And, and certainly a question that we all deal with from time to time. And that's when Satan turns the heat up. And his attacks are the fiercest during those times. But let me remind you, we have a solution. And the only solution is not try to reason it out. The only solution is to turn our eyes to Jesus. Look unto Jesus. And consider how well qualified he is to help us. Now remember, he was clothed with our humanity. And because he was clothed in humanity, he was able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He knows all about how we feel and he understands what we are going through. Now, it's kind of interesting, and we'll touch on, touch on it Sunday morning, I think, in our lesson in Sunday school. But it was through his suffering, the writer of Hebrews says, he was made perfect. And sometimes we balk at that work. We thought, well, he's the Savior. He's God. He's already perfect. But please understand, that means it qualified him. Because he's been through what we've been, what we've been through, what we experienced. It now gives him the, the qualifications to have pity on us. Why? Because he knows how we feel. He knows all about our situation, no matter what it is. He fully understands our trials. And he also understands the strength of our temptation. Now think about this. What does the Bible promise about our temptations? Do it, say it again. Yes, indeed. In fact, he said, I won't put more on you than you can bear. But with every temptation, I will provide a way of escape. I've got to ask this question. Has there ever been a time in your Christian life you thought, at least for a little while, Lord, I will, I will never get through this. I can't bear this. Yeah. But you hear, and you did bear it, because we keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. He's not just a spectator. He's not even an indifferent spectator. He is full of compassion. He cares for you. He absolutely does. Yeah. I know you remember the time he went to the grave of Lazarus. When he got there, we find the shortest verse in the Bible. Remember what it says? Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He felt the heartbreak. Now remember, hold on. He wasn't sad that Lazarus was dead. What did Jesus know? I'm going to raise him up. But when he saw the sadness of those around him and how broken they were, Jesus wept. What is that? That's compassion. He had compassion on them. By the way, some was able to preach it. That was yesterday. So what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That same Christ has compassion on us. He is faithful to respond to the appeals of his people. How many know Jesus cares about you? He really, really does. 
Amen. May I give you some shocking news tonight? The Democrats don't care about you. The Republicans don't care about you. The Independents don't care about you. Who do they care about? Themselves. But my friend, God cares about us. Somebody ought to say amen. (laughs) He genuinely cares about us. And he's not the president. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet he cares about us. We mentioned that word, Sakur, a few months ago. Dan, you read it in that opening verse. And the fact that he's able to do that, no matter what uh, the form of the temptation might be, no matter what the form of the trial is, he's able to secure us. Now, that English word, when we don't use it anymore, at least I don't know anyone that does, it's really a, a comprehensive word in the English. It means to befriend. It means to assist those in need. But it also means to strengthen the weak. But the Greek word that's used here is even more striking and more expressive. The, the Greek word signifies to, he, to, to hurry, to hurry in response to a cry of distress. The Greek word for secure literally means to run to the call of another. So let me ask you a question. When you call out for help, when do you want it? Yesterday, today, at least, right? Yeah, we want it now. And the Greek word is very emphatic. It means to run to answer the call. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm reminded of the time Daniel prayed. And, uh, wow, I think three weeks had gone by before God got an answer. Here comes the angel. And the angel, you know what the angel told Daniel? He said, you need to know God heard you that first moment. And I was on the way. But I had a battle. One of Satan's emissaries on the way. I had to take care of that business. But God heard you when you prayed. And when did God send him? Right away. That's the word, Sakur. Chrysostom, he interpreted the word Sakur this way. Here's what he said. Speaking of Christ. He gives out his hand unto them with all readiness. He's ready to help. He is ready to help. Matthew chapter 14. Look at verses 30 and 31. We all know the story. They're out there on that boat. (laughs) Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, do what? Ask me to come out. Now, folks, I I don't want to bang on Peter because I wouldn't have got out of the boat. But he gets out of that boat. But all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sees, he sees what? Yeah, he begins to sink. And as soon as he began to sink, he said, Lord, save me. He's calling for what? Help. When does he want it? When does he need it? Yeah. And Jan, immediately, what did Christ do? He reached his hand out. That's the idea of Sakura. He reached his hand out immediately. Luke chapter 10, verse 32 and 35, 
Okay, what do we call this parable? Parable of what? The Good Samaritan. Why do we call it that? He showed compassion. He saw the need and he showed compassion. But my question is, and, and again, not taking away from who this name of Samaritan is, how much more does Jesus exemplify as we see Jesus Christ as the epitome of a good Samaritan? As he tended the wounded traveler. And here's what I want you to know, folks. We were all born into a broken world. And how many know we were all wounded? What did Jesus do? He had compassion. And he reaches out his hands. And he comes to our aid. So he is able to succor us to come quickly. And we know what it means to be able. And the Greek word implies both the ability and the willingness. I was talking to one of my sisters who still lives in Texas. I have two down there now. Uh, and uh, she was telling something about her, son, her boy and her children about the same age as uh, Jason and Jesse. And very, I don't know how to put it, there's hardly anything they can't do mechanically with their hands or whatever. And he said, Mom, don't you ever tell anybody I can work on cars. He says, I hate it. So he's able, but guess what? He's not willing. And the Greek word here means not only is Christ able, he's willing to come to our aid. So not only is Christ competent, he's ready, he's ready to undertake for his people, and there's absolutely no unwillingness in him. In fact, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be what? Saved. He will in no wise turn us out. Hebrews 7.25, we read it earlier, let's read it again. Now notice what it says. He's able to save to the uttermost. Who? Anybody who comes to God. Now, remember the time he was here on earth, those three and a half years. Was he always ready to heal diseased bodies? Yes. In fact, there were times he and, he and his disciples had to get away for a while. Why? It was overwhelming. It was tiring, if you will. And knowing that, do you think for a moment that Christ does not want to come to your aid? We know that's not true. He's never unwilling to come to our aid. This next verse wasn't part of our study, but when I came to this part, this verse came to my mind. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Romans 8, verse 32. What's that verse saying to us? What's the answer? Nothing. <laughs> Think about that. God sacrificed his son for us. Would you, would you believe he, sent, he cared enough to send his very best? And Paul said he's done that. So why in the world do you think he would withhold any good thing from him? He won't. He won't. He will never refuse to help and guide believers. Instead, he promises to give us all things to bring us to the ultimate goal, and that's our sanctification and our glorification. Oh, what a Savior.
He was always, on, when he was on earth, at the disposal of those who were maimed, those who were blind. Didn't matter what they had. Even the leper. And when you were a leper, what happened to you? You're, why? Yeah. Would you, would anybody dare go up and touch a leper? No way. But did Jesus come to their aid? He absolutely did. He was uncompromising. Whatever it took to relieve suffering. And the sad thing is, a lot of those whom he befriended expressed unbelief. And just as his ministry and his mission, part of it was, while here on earth, to heal the sick. Do you understand even today, part of his ministry is to bind the brokenhearted. To bind up the brokenhearted. I want to say again tonight, oh, what a Savior we have. The Almighty God the all-tender man, the all-tender one who is so infinitely above us in his original nature and present glory. And yet, he was the one who became flesh. He became flesh and blood. He lived not only in the same world we live in, but on the same plane we live in. He experienced the same troubles we experience. And he suffered like we do. But also understand he suffered more acutely than we do. So church, never forget how well qualified Christ is to supply all of our every need. No wonder we can cast all of our cares upon Him because we know from Scripture, without a doubt, He cares for us. So no matter what our circumstances, He is the securing Savior, the one who comes to our aid. He is all-sufficient. He is ever-ready. And He enters with sympathy into our circumstances. How many are glad he's your Savior tonight? Amen. Well, I see we're about out of time. We're going to stop here for tonight. Uh, we've got a long way to go anyway to finish this particular topic. But I want you to know something, folks. Jesus cares about you.